2: It's
0: November 10th, 1930. And another remarkable event is about to
1: be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca and Ali, The Retrospectors. Whenever I see a giant tyre rolling down 42nd Street, I'm always reassured to know that it is tethered to a larger vehicle. <laughs> and so was the case on this day in 1930, when the tyre company Goodyear, as a publicity stunt did exactly that.
2: It reminds me of that bit in The Simpsons where Kent Brockman summarises 1928 as the year when you might have seen Al Capone dancing the Charleston on top of a flagpole. It was a really (laughs) zany era, wasn't it?
1: (laughs) Well, you may not have heard of this event before... Um, because it's not very well documented I just saw an old photo of it but what I thought was interesting about this is that that is a a very modern seeming publicity stunt Mm -hmm. similar to what we were talking about a few weeks ago with Richard Branson driving his virgin cola tank into Times Square isn't it like here is a slightly preposterous thing to do so that nowadays people will take pictures and put them all over Instagram you know what's this weird thing Uh, and then that publicizes your brand but It's been nearly a 100 years since this event of Goodyear rolling a giant tyre around New York with obviously the same aim. I mean, obviously, then it was press photographers, not social media. But they're basically saying, here's a weird thing. Remember Goodyear make tyres. And that seems (laughs) like maybe the birth of that kind of publicity event. Although it didn't really work for them because they had a new type of tyre that they were trying to promote that was a type of tyre that no one adopted. Yeah, but advertising them was much more straightforward. I mean, uh, Goodyear's slogan, which they'd had since 1916, was more people ride on Goodyear tyres than on any other kind, which is rather on the nose for my taste. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That needs a little bit of finessing. You know, a couple of copywriters could help out with that. So that's what I mean, like... Advertising kind of still in its infancy, like this is pre Madman era, isn't it? And yet you have got this thinking of like let's do a big stunt. Mm.
2: And one thing that really kicked these kinds of stunts into popular consciousness was Hollywood. So in the early days of Hollywood, you had these leading PR men, almost always men, who emerged to promote these new films. And so there was one in particular who kind of was the father of these kinds of zany stunts that we still see in Hollywood today, called Harry Reichenbach. In 1920, to promote the film The Revenge of Tarzan, he hired an actor to bring a lion into a New York hotel room. It was hidden in a crate. (laughs) This is
0: not going to go well.
2: (laughs) They told staff that the guest was a pianist, and the staff helpfully lifted up via a crane this big box into his room that they thought was a piano, and then they were like, everybody, come upstairs, bring steak. I've got a lion.
1: Well, here we are talking about it a century later. So, I mean, it did sort of work.
2: Well, I bet none of you have gone to see The Revenge of Tarzan recently, have you?
1: (laughs) Well, that's the problem, isn't it? You often remember the stunt, not the product.
2: Reichenbach's stunts did get quite out of hand. He would also stage fake kidnappings of his leading actresses and then fake rescue raids. (laughs) Oh, that's not cool. He was actually going to trouble. He was accused of staging a fake suicide in Central Park Lake, which he denied. He said it was tacky. Uh, And eventually the New York district attorney wrote to him and just told him, stop doing this stuff.
1: I mean, to be fair to Goodyear, they always had a good grasp, I think, on what their brand was. In fact, they had nothing to do with Charles Goodyear, who was the guy who discovered vulcanised rubber in 1839. They just had the good sense to name the company after him in 1898 so that people could tell the story of Goodyear inventing rubber for years later, which is pretty, again, seems to me like quite a savvy brand operation over a hundred years ago. <laughs> the history of tyres is surprisingly linear,
0: I was going to say, if, if you'll forgive <laughs> yeah.
2: It goes from those round stones that the
0: Flintstones had. <laughs> yeah, straight to this. But it is amazing that you get these real sort of just massive moments where first you have the creation of vulcanised rubber in 1839 and then the pneumatic tyre comes along in 1846 and then you kind of just, really from there, it's just iterations of pneumatic tyre on down from the names that we're all familiar with. The Dunlops mm. and the Michelin and all of yeah, those Yeah, they were groups. right there from the beginning. Yeah, and they, and they just invented these tyres that were better than the kind of crude bands of leather and metal that <laughs> had been on vehicles previously, and they just spread around the world, and they really couldn't be topped, and I suppose that's why it was problematic trying to launch a whole new brand of tyre, because unless you had something that was fundamentally massively better than what everyone else had already d- adopted, at great expense I must say, you weren't actually going to get anywhere with your product.
1: Well, because as well they had built-in marketing, they didn't need a giant tyre because they had cars we You know, Like you say, you look at cars, you think that car's cool, I'd like a car one day (laughs) and you look at the tyres and it says Goodyear on it. I mean that actually is enough and and Goodyear had military contracts too they did blimps, didn't they? Mm -hmm. In fact to refer back to another previous episode of The Retrospectors, episode 45, Zeppelin takes flight, uh, they at this point had the patent for Zeppelin airships as well so they literally had big hoardings in the sky. I know that the fate of all the Zeppelins wasn't rosy but nonetheless, you know, you looked up and it said Goodyear flying over you. Mm -hmm. So they had scale anyway they had marketing anyway i think at this point all the cars in the indy 500 used goodyear tires Mm. anyway i don't even know if that was like an official sponsorship deal back then or it's just they were the best they made the best tires so it's kind of got got built-in marketing anyway so the goodyear tire has been lost to history they didn't hold on to these artifacts back then and think they were of any cultural significance but the world's biggest tire is still located along i-94 in allen park michigan uh, shout out to the suburbs of Detroit. It weighs 12 tonnes and is 80 foot tall and was featured as a Ferris wheel at the 1964 to 65 New York's World Fair. It's a Ferris wheel in the shape of a tyre that you could sit in and go around. So, it actually had a function as well as being an advertisement for a tyre company that no longer exists. I mean, if you put it on a monster truck, that would just be terrifying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ferris wheel is a much better option.
1: (laughs) But it doesn't meet my criteria, you see, because it's not really a proper giant tyre, is it? Because you can't put a giant vehicle on it and it's got a ferris wheel in it, so it'd crush it, even if you did put it on a monster truck.
0: Okay, well, the largest ever actual production tyre was a Titan tyre that was 14 feet high and it was for use on those kind of big mining trucks, you see. But I think, you know, 14 feet, that's a sort of comprehensible height. That's mm. kind of two very tall people. It's um, no Ferris wheel
1: height, is it? It's no Ferris wheel. up there. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't think it even counts. <laughs> but this concept of let's take a small thing and turn it into a big thing with no purpose, that is something that really caught on, isn't yeah. it? I and mean, You can Google... World's biggest donut, world's biggest pretzel, world's biggest (laughs) sausage, world's biggest microphone, world's biggest shopping trolley. You can think of anything and someone's done it. It's something that Australia has leaned
0: into enormously. And there's 150 big things, at least, across Australia. (laughs) And they've become this weird cult phenomenon that you've got, like, the big prawn, which is this nine-meter prawn in Ballina, and the big pineapple, which is in Wumby.
1: Hold on, is it made out of fiberglass, the big prawn? Ah uh, yes, yeah, it's yeah. So see, to me, that's not a big prawn. So like, <laughs> got to actually inflate the the thing you're itself. <laughs> pump the real prawn
0: full of chemicals
1: somewhere.
0: I mean. <laughs> Make a mutant giant prawn and <laughs> stick it to the
1: side of your building. So the world's biggest sausage, which I have googled, was created for Romania's National Day <laughs> by the supermarkets Carrefour and Aldi working together to promote their cold cuts selections. <laughs> Got a massive assembly line of people pumping pork product into sausage skin. And created a thirty-eight mile long sausage, but it was edible. Okay, fine. they then split it back. I, I don't the think you so can do that for a prawn. I don't think I mean, <laughs> again. Just like. I just think
2: you're setting you're setting a very high standard. Then <laughs> don't what you're award a certificate
1: for it. World's largest fiberglass prawn. I mean, just build a bigger one.
2: Don't plan any trips around Australia looking at these things because you're going to be disappointed because the vast majority of them are fiberglass. Although, mm. Ariane, I feel like you haven't mentioned a couple of them. Everyone in Australia has heard of the big lobster and the big banana. Yeah, the big banana. It is the classic
1: I feel like we've made you feel Apologetic for your own country This week, Harry <laughs> And with Scott and Charlene On Monday And now this <laughs> <laughs> this is culture worth celebrating, you know, feel proud, don't it? Well,
0: I do and, and, and the big banana, for example, did just begin as a big, cheap fiberglass banana, but because of its <laughs> but success. But now... <laughs> yeah, but now, because it sucked in these sort of ironic tourists, th- then they built a milk bar, a kind of a, a cafe serving frothy banana milkshakes, and then they built a toboggan track and then a water park and then a laser tag arena and then a big um, like mini golf, of course. so yeah. it's kind of become the focal point for something that actually has, you know, is worth stopping at, even though it may not have been in the first place.
2: There's the big bin. That's in Western <laughs> Australia. Tagline, <laughs> the world's tallest bin. Wow. Uh, and this is my favourite. The big peg, a gigantic, and not actually not that gigantic, couple of metres tall, iron peg. It's on a family farm in New South Wales. <laughs> the owner of the farm remarked, if, shall I do the accent? I'll do the accent. Yeah, go on. The owner remarked, If people drive past and smile and have a giggle at the peg, then my job has been done.
0: Tomorrow. But when he met the protesters, this was his reply. He said, it's no good you jeering, it's going to be done. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.